Hello, everybody. It is my turn to tell you all about our corporate overlords at Fangoria. This classic magazine has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. Not only is Fangoria highly collectible, which it is, them shits always sell out. If you get yourself an annual subscription, it comes right to your door four times a year, and each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including your intrepid KingCast hosts. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you will have to subscribe. In order to do that, all you got to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast at checkout to save a whopping 25% off your entire order. Now, with all of that said, let's get on with the show. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Red rum! Red rum! Red rum! Red rum! Red rum! Red rum! Red Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Today's guest is the personality behind the popular YouTube channel Comic Book Girl 19. She's also a tattoo artist, model, critic, and award-winning cosplayer who just so happens to be a massive Stephen King fan. Unfortunately for her, we've talked a lot about one of her main passions, The Dark Tower, on the show recently, but we did figure out a good Dark Tower adjacent title for her guest appearance here. The title we're chatting about today is Insomnia, and our guest is Comic Book Girl 19 herself. Please welcome Danica to the show. Hello. Hello. How are you doing Hi. today? Oh my gosh, I'm doing so great. I'm so excited to talk about Stephen King with you guys. Excellent. Before we do that, Ooh, though, but I we... am excited about talking to you, mm. something uh, not Stephen King related that I saw you tweeting about. Dean Koontz. Uh, I understand that you are a big Session 9 fan. Is that correct? Yes. I love okay. Session 9. Yes. Fuck yes. Uh, Session 9. I like. I have been pro- uh, preaching the gospel of <laughs> Session 9 for 20 some odd years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always delighted to meet a, a, a fellow Session 9 fan. And I've been recommending it to our listeners uh, ever since this show started absolutely they need they need to watch it. if anyone out there hasn't watched it definitely check it out it's so mm-hmm. underrated mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. i found it and i was like on vacation in florida and we just like went to uh the the video store where you rent videos if you remember uh-huh. that whole thing and we just picked it up and watched it and i was like wow this is so good and it's it's such a perfect male horror movie <laughs> Right. It's it all about like all the the terrible terrible things that men have to deal with. I think it's really well done. The Descent is a great feminine companion piece. Mm, that's to a Session really nine, good in my point. Opinion. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That would be a hell of a double feature, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Doc. I've like made so many people watch that film. <laughs> I uh, I interviewed uh, the director and the writer, Steve. Brad Anderson. Yeah, mm-hmm. Brad Anderson and Steve Gavidon. Or I'm actually not sure. I remember how to say his name sorry steve (laughs) uh for like a big 20th anniversary piece that i did for fangoria and they told me during this interview this will blow your mind if you don't know it already they wrote a sequel well a prequel (gasps) to session nine oh and the thing is that lionsgate owns the original film right Mm -hmm. so they went and said hey look we've got this script here you know session nine has built up a cult we'd like to uh 
it's not really using any of the characters that were in the first movie, but it's it's tied to that mythology. Yes. Um, would it be OK if we went ahead and made this movie? And they said no. <sighs> and and so, no. Uh, yeah. It, and it was going to be a prequel about Mary Hobbs. Like <sighs> and and that whole story about her family Man. and shit. Yeah. Laws, bureaucracies. Ugh, don't you just love them? They're so <laughs> yeah. fun. We love to have our creativity <laughs> limited, don't we, folks? <laughs> you mean Trash. we could have had a session four and a half? Yeah. <laughs> a yeah, session zero. I, <laughs> I think they told me what the title was, but I'm not immediately oh, recalling it. I would love it, to read that script. I mean, it, even if I can't watch it, like I would love to read that script. Oh, fuck I'm yeah. I'm a fan of reading scripts. Oh, love that movie. I had the same. I had a similar story with that where my girlfriend and I just walked into a blockbuster and Rented it because we liked the cover box. We thought it looked spooky <laughs> yeah. and just like had our mind shattered by it. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, yeah, that's a really good one. So it's a, it's a banger for those who are not familiar with your YouTube channel. Can you describe what it is you do uh, for our audience? Yes, I uh, speak on pop culture uh, shenanigans such as <laughs> um, Marvel is a big one for me. X-Men, Game of Thrones was a big one for me, talking about all the lore. Uh, Dune is a huge one for me, but I do a lot of movie reviews, comic book reviews, comic book movie reviews, where we take deep dives into the themes and meanings and uh, esotericism and lore behind these things. So it's a little bit, it's not as surfacey. We get into it. And there's also... Um, some puppet action on my show. <laughs> oh, hell yes. And uh, yeah, so, and I've been doing that for about 10 years now, and it's been oh a wild God. ride. 10 and years. YouTube's, YouTube's changed a lot in yeah. the past decade. It's it's very, very different, but uh, I've been very grateful and very lucky to be right. able to kind of just make my own show where it's just me making whatever I want. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's kind of the the secret to any sort of longevity in this thing. If it's so easy to get burnt out on on producing, I, I hate the word content, but producing content, yes, yes you know, so yes. much is like unless you have a real passion for it, right? And you get to do it the way that you're comfortable with. It's like it's such an easy burnout, you know. In, in it other, is. It's, it's easy to get burnout even under the best circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah. My my latest video is Zen and the Art of the Big Lebowski, which I've been wanting to make that video for years, and I just feel so great that I finally got to do it. How long does it take you from like top to bottom to finish one of those? <sighs> I watched one of your. I watched. Goddamn, which one was it? Anyway, with the one that I I watched, I think it was a Stephen King thing. I've but it was really well put stuff. together. I mean, it's like, you know, you you know, you obviously know what you're doing. This is not a <laughs> yeah. thing you just recorded into your phone. No, um, no. There's a lot of prep work involved. There's a lot yeah. of prep work. I like to write a loose outline, which mm -hmm. can take me, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a, a great writer. It doesn't just flow out of me. Uh, I'm much better at other things. But with writing, it usually takes me like, I like to ruminate upon stuff and then do a bunch of research and really think about it and like get my script done in about a week. Mm -hmm. but like I said, it's more of a, it's more of an outline than a script script. Uh, and so it takes me a little while to kind of get all my thoughts together and then put it down. And then it takes about for usually for my parts, unless there's some sort of disaster, uh, it takes me about, you know, a day to do shoot my parts and then, uh, it takes about maybe like another, uh, you know, like a, not a whole half day, but it takes like a, another day to do puppetry. Cause I can't do, 
I do all the voices from all my puppets and stuff too now. I used to not, I used to work with a partner, but we're no longer partnering. So now it's mm-hmm. it's just a solo act. I've I've left Destiny's Child and I'm beyond saying <laughs> it. Um, so and then uh so after so you know about about a day and a half to to shoot it week to write it and then you know maybe two to three weeks to edit it depending upon how long it is right so uh and i've also been i do all my editing as well now um i had to learn all that after the after the breakup (laughs) so but i love it it's super fun so yeah all in all i mean i would say that it takes like upwards of a month to kind of like really put something together because again there's like a lot of research involved and just like the editing there's a lot of editing going on there's like it's not just like me sitting in front of a corner and i'm just talking about stuff it's like got a lot of stuff going on right uh, yeah, a, lot totally. of, and a lot of visuals and stuff and got to gather a lot of assets and images and because i'm really good at explaining things but i'm even better when i have like a little image to help me yeah. along so. visual aids they definitely <laughs> there's help. a lot of thank god for google image search there's a lot of google image <laughs> searching going on for my show let me tell you, you. ain't lying man it's a thing yeah my only brush up with youtube was uh I was with a, a movie news site for a long time uh, mm. called Ain't It Cool News. And then I left that yeah. site and then I moved from Ain't It Cool to uh, Rooster Teeth. And mm-hmm. Rooster Teeth obviously had a big YouTube thing. And what they hired me specifically to do was to write the movie news section of their news section, which was called The No. And yes. so I would write for the teleprompter, essentially. And every <laughs> once in a while, they'd have bring me in like when one of the Avengers trailers dropped, then they'd put me on camera. Yes, um, you know to to talk about stuff, which I'm not comfortable doing, by the way. And those are probably <laughs> god awful. What because they're like, oh, we're going to copy what all these other YouTube channels are successful doing by, you know, doing trailer breakdowns. I'm like, listen, oh, I man. love Marvel, but I'm not the person that you know spends all their free time like digging deep into the the trenches of like right. knowing what you know. Oh, look, that hill in the background of this shot is you know proves <laughs> yeah. that they're in this. Like, I'm not that guy. And yes, and yes. I think they wanted me to be that guy, but unfortunately, I wasn't. And um, that but algorithm I remember loves trailer reactions. I mean, YouTube oh, loves, they will push a trailer reaction. Let me tell you. That so is great. the most baffling shit to me. I don't under, like, I, I truly do not understand like mm. what, what the people that are fans of watching other people watch trailers. Like what exactly <laughs> it's, are you it's getting so out of that experience? Like, cause I'm always like, it's a trailer. And like, you can't judge, you, know, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't judge right. a movie by its trailer either to some degree. And, uh, you know, it was so frustrating because, like, I think last year, the video that I made that had the most views was a, just a shitty trailer reaction video for, like, <laughs> the Dune trailer. And I was just like, and it was the worst video that I put out. It was so crappy. And all the other videos are just like, I put so much love and time into, like, nope, like, not even close, baby. <sighs> There's a, a similar phenomenon on a lot of, you know, movie blogs uh entertainment sites and such Mm -hmm. with articles that are like the ending of such and such explained oh i know and i like the the first time i started becoming aware of that i was like the fuck do you need that movie's ending explained it it could not have been simpler and then eventually i realized it's not that it needs to be explained it's that some people just want to know how a thing ended and so they see those articles but I can't skip to the end. Just tell me what happened. That makes sense to me. Like I understand <laughs> the inherent value of people who people wanting spoilers, but I mm-hmm. don't see what the value is in rec- watching someone watch a trailer. 
Like, yeah. unless you're just looking for confirmation bias that they're mm. as excited right. as you are. I, 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 I think that's kind of what it is, though. I feel like especially like in Marvel around the Marvel movies, like like people, you know, you have Marvel stands and they have their Marvel boners and they just want to like jerk off with somebody else about it you know and like that's just like they want to see you get excited and it strokes their marvel boner and then just like right. everybody gets all bonered up and like that's what it's about right and well, I, I don't know I have, I have a hard time boners. like they just, i can't really do i can't like people are like oh what you gotta talk about all this because i've talked a lot about marvel stuff but lately their shit's really dropped off and like people are like, yep. why haven't you talked about all this stuff oh, and i'm like i just i can't i can't anymore i'm not aroused by this <laughs> anymore. Uh, like this stuff has gotten really bad honestly uh, i kind of fell off with it after endgame it felt like endgame was it, the end game right, that was it. right and it was so done. now, like, and then virtually, uh, I, not all of them, but virtually everything since I've just <laughs> been like, couldn't we have taken like a three, four year break and then started the cycle <laughs> yes. over? Like, let me yes. miss these characters after this thing. And, and you know, <sighs> then we get back to it. But Agreed. of course, that's never going to fucking happen. Right. It's Disney. You know? They got to they like, you know, they got to beat that dead horse. And that's kind of what they're known for, too, is, I mean, they buy a property and then they just like right. choke the life out of it. Or they squeeze every drop. And it's just like, you know, if you guys just like chilled and then like brought it back, like. It, and when you had like you regroup and you come up with like, okay, now we're have our next big plan. And it's like, you can't perpetually be in motion all the time. Like you have to take a break, mm -hmm. but they don't. And then they just keep going and they're, and you really see like quantity versus quality. Like I feel like now they're very much about quantity and not about quality. Like the quality is really slipping and it I shows and it's just, it's not a great, I don't think it's a great long-term business model personally, but you know, Hollywood tends to disagree with me. <laughs> yeah, people, you know, people talk about superhero burnout and point to the oh, box yeah. office figures that, you know, uh, for the most part, there is no superhero burnout, but yes, there is. It's, yes, there just, is. it's just not making a big dent right now, but eventually you will come to a point where mm -hmm. like any other genre, you know, that has yeah. ever existed that was wildly popular for a while, there will be a natural conclusion oh, yeah. of that where people Absolutely. are just like, I'm done for a while with this shit. Like, yeah, please. the pendulum will swing. And, yes. and, if, and if it's too, uh, to your point, if it's too prolific, if there's too much uh, that, that we're overeating on, on superhero stuff, it, it's possible it can go the way of the Western. It's, pr you know, right. it's probably not. It's not going to, there's too much variance in superhero mm -hmm. movies because you can just the Marvel DC thing. It's like you, that can sustain a billion dollar Joker movie and a, you know, a billion dollar, uh, Sp Spider-Man, you know, far from home, you know, mm -hmm. movie, which are totally different feels. And, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, I, I feel like that there's more room for them and maybe that'll just delay the, uh, inevitable burnout, but there will be mm -hmm. a thing where there'll be something shinier and, and uh, new on the horizon. That's just how it, it always works i have a theory that uh that it like once people crack video game adaptations that mm -hmm. that could be the next hot shit because it has a lot of the same uh draws that comic yes. does where there's nostalgia right that that's yes. part of the thing with comic book movies is is a lot of these uh a lot of the people coming to comic book movies have never picked up a comic in their life but yeah. almost everybody as a kid read a captain america or x-men or mm -hmm. something they at some point a friend had it whatever there's always that little tinge of oh i recognize that i recognize that character with with the comic book stuff batman superman all that stuff yes you have that now i think with video games and where we have decades and decades of of video game worlds that just have never been seen realized in live action so 
Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know, like, and maybe I'm just burned on because as we're recording this, uh, there was a bunch of leaks, uh, leaked uh, images from the Fallout TV series that uh, oh, came out yeah. the inside the vault and looking at it just <laughs> instantly made me go, oh, I got to see this. I want to see this because it looks just like the video games. So uh, yeah. may- maybe maybe there's a little little personal bias in- injecting itself into this conversation. But well, I'm, I'm praying that they get I don't think it's I don't think it's that hard to get the video game stuff. I mean, I don't think it's that hard to adapt stuff if you have people on a team who understand it love the property and just just understand the property and the problem is is you just generally get a lot of team of people who have no idea about the property have no love for it haven't really interfaced with it and then they are charged with making something and it's just like and that's i think where it falls apart a lot but if you get the right team with the right people and the right vision and people who really care about it it is possible to make a really great video game adaptation 100 percent I think the big Agreed. hurdle there, though, is is that so many of the attempts so far have been trying to replicate the feeling of playing the game, and that's right. the fool's errand. Like, what you need right. to do is, you know, it, it's it's a dumb move. The Halo series, you know, was I I, I was a huge Halo fan back in the day. Uh, kind of dropped off as the games started sucking, and uh, the series came about. 15 years too late, but even though I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. And it's like the fun of that is like the, the lore of that world and exploring that, that, that universe, not, you know, getting first person shooter point of view helmet shots from master chief, you know, yeah, it's like, absolutely. so everybody's kind of missed that concept where, you know, I, I think the, the real test is going to be this last of us show that Craig mm-hmm. Mason is doing for HBO. Um, because that's that's such a narrative driven and character driven game. If that can translate and they can figure out a way to translate it and to have you be in, as involved when you're not on the stick playing the characters, um, that could be like the the rubric that you know kind of cracks the video game thing. If it works, yeah, yeah. I hope it does. Well, Arcane did a really. I mean, I didn't. I don't know anything about uh, right. the game that it's from, and I don't. I haven't seen the movie, but I hear very people speak very highly of the Arcane movie, and I know that. Um, because video games, like they make so much money. It's crazy how much money they make. (laughs) And so because there's no middleman, you know, and so because of that, they were like able to just dump so much money into the animation of the Arcane movie. And they came up with something that was really special and uh, like really well done. And, uh, you know, and I think that business model is really interesting because like the gaming companies do have the money to like really put forward uh, into some cool content uh, shows or, or movies or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next, hmm. <laughs> over the next few years. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, okay. the topic at hand. Well, not quite the topic at hand, but, <laughs> but yes. Stephen King. Danica, what is your Stephen King origin story? My Stephen King origin story. My mother is or was a huge Stephen King fan. I'm I'm pretty sure she was probably reading his books when I was in utero. So I feel mm-hmm. like I was getting it really early. <laughs> My brain was forming. And I just grew up watching her read his books and hearing her tell me about them and like hearing her crack up at them. And uh, in fact, one of my fondest memories is of my mother cracking up uh, from a line from Insomnia, which we'll talk about later. Hmm. And so, and I was also like a little horror fiend. I don't know, maybe it's because she was reading Stephen King while I was in utero, but like, I just have always loved horror movies. And so I just, I I just got into it kind of right away. I feel like, and it in particular was, uh, I remember when the miniseries came out in the early nineties, I believe I was only like around five years old. 
And right I really on. wanted to watch it. I really, really mm-hmm. wanted to watch it. And my parents were cool enough to let me watch the miniseries with them. <laughs> At five years old? At five. It's crazy. Because I went back and I was like, wait, when did that come out? And then I was like, oh my gosh. Like I was like five. And uh, and let me tell you, it, it scared the shit out of me. Okay. I was scared. No I way. wasn't scared of clowns. I was scared of toilets and sinks for wait, really and big drains in showers for a long time. Well, hold on a second. Why were you scared of toilets? Well, because he, he, the blood was coming out of the toilet, and oh, you, you never know I where thought, it is. Oh, he's okay. like down in there, you know. He's like in the drains, man. Like and no, he's gonna I, get you. I didn't and that's a vulnerable that. place. <laughs> I thought you were. Sa- I thought you were saying pre it. That's the kind of thing you were. No, 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 of. no. Like, like after watching it, like I oh, just had a huge sense. bathroom phobia. Like yeah. I would kind of like run out of the bathroom, like after I would do my <laughs> business because I was afraid. It and like like I said, anytime I see a big drain, I would be like, "Oh no, he's down there." Um, but I still, even though it scared me so badly and like scarred me for a long time, I still couldn't get enough, and I kept coming back for more. And I was there when they did the um, the the next one. Like, what was the other? What's the name of it? Um, Randall Flag and oh, the stand, the yeah. stand, the stand. Yeah, I watched that with them too, and you know, and then eventually when I started, you know, reading, I started reading all the books and. What was the uh, What was the first one you read? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't remember the first one, but may. You know what? I'm sure I don't know which one it is, but it was one of the short story collections. I feel like I, I cut my teeth on some hmm. of the short story collections. I'm not sure if it was like the. Um, the graveyard, what is it? Graveyard, graveyard shift, graveyard shift. That's what it's. Graveyard Skeleton shift, crew. something like that. I feel like I, I started oh, well, with night shift. The short story. Excuse me, not graveyard. So, shift. Yeah, the night graveyard. shift. The night shift. No, there's. But what's the great skeleton? No, I can't. Yeah, there is a short story called graveyard shift. In, yeah. Yes. Yes. So anyways, one of the. I'm pretty sure it was one of the short story collections. Yeah, starting with a collection is a, a wise move as a kid. It's not a, mm-hmm. you're not a, making a thousand page investment right, at that his, point. Well, yeah, his novels can be really long. So I kind of started yeah. with the shorter, shorter stories. You can pop in, <laughs> you can pop out if you don't like exactly. the story, you know, yes. what's, what's not to love. Totally. So miniseries was the first one you saw mm-hmm. and yes. did, and, and then you started reading the books. Have you kept up with the books over the years? Uh, I haven't, I've dropped off. Like, I think the last book that I read of his was the one the I'm really bad with numbers the 11 22 yeah. yeah I am really bad with numbers yeah. so like that one was the last one that I read the the newest one that I've read I haven't read any of the the other ones um that was right on that was when it kind of dropped off he's been right? he's been putting out some bangers between Has yeah. then and yeah now. he's, oh, he's yeah. kind of caught a second one this is the obligatory oh. revival recommendation oh. uh, especially if you like the existential horror side of stephen oh, king yes. then uh, uh highly recommend revival we uh that's kind of the the drum we we bang on this show okay it's like that's kind of his his under read under scene like there's no adaptation of it yet so it's like I'll you know, it's kind of this redheaded business. stepchild of stephen king and it's so good <laughs> yeah i'm into it dig into that one um, so I was going to ask about the 19 in your name. I, I assume yes. that's a Dark Tower reference. Yes, it is. It is. It's, And I'm also a student of the tarot and 19 is the sun card, which is the card of universal endorsement, which is also a form of Ka, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I felt like it's it's kind of a lucky number. Uh, <laughs> it's a very lucky number in both esotericism and in Stephen King lore. And so, mm-hmm. yes, when I was uh, coming up with 
my comic book girl moniker because you know it was like there wasn't just comic book girl it was like you had to pick a number right uh, so that's that's why yeah. i picked the 19 <laughs> so yes there cool is a guy 69 69 you know yeah okay. yeah <laughs> that, that, that would have been been uh yeah uh, not as apt yeah yes so it is definitely a Dark Tower reference for sure. Well, how now, appropriate. And, and now now I've, I've grown up a little bit. So Comic Book Girl 19. Now I've kind of transitioned into Danica XIX, which is Roman numeral 19. Right. Um, nice. So that's nice. Kind of, yeah. So I've kept it, you know, but I've just kind of like adultified it a little bit. <laughs> well, then I suppose it, it, it makes sense that you've, you've chosen a Dark Tower adjacent novel where we're here to talk about insomnia today. That was yes. your title of choice. Um, for those who have not read it, would you be willing to explain what happens in this book? And you don't have to go like in granular detail, but what happens in insomnia? I can give it a good old American try because this one's is a little all over the place. It's not quite Mm -hmm. uh, a succinct, super succinct (laughs) novel. We we, we've insomnia centers around a man. uh, He's an older gentleman, Ralph Roberts, and he Mm -hmm. lives in Derry, Maine. And he starts getting insomnia and some of the symptoms of his insomnia as it drags on is he is able to see auras and life strings and sees these weird little bald doctors and gets kind of sucked into an adventure uh, centered around uh, a particular character where he's got to stop this terrible happening from happening, which also includes his neighbor, uh, Ed Deepineau and his other neighbor, Lois Chase. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and they've, they've got to, they've got to stop the thing from happening, but I don't want to say what the thing is. No, go for it. What is the thing? (laughs) Okay. The thing. Okay. So, well, we got to back up a little bit. So his, his neighbor, Ed has also been suffering from insomnia and he's also seeing these little bald doctors. And one of them, is uh, an agent of the random and he's been whispering all these terrible things in his ear and getting them all whipped up and he's cut his life string and he's just like this crazy, he's got this crazy death bag around him and he's all whipped up about abortion rights. And there is this whole thing centers around an abortion clinic, women's care in dairy. And, uh, and this, they want women's care, want, want Susan day to come in this feminist speaker to help them because there was some, uh, rumblings of maybe trying to get rid of this place. And so they're trying to attract this feminist speaker. Ed hates them, thinks that, uh, you know, they're, they're these crazy baby killers who are taking fetuses out of dairy and feeding them to, to the Crimson King and his cohorts. And so he's decided that he's going to, well, do, do I spoil it? Do I spoil the thing? Do oh, I yeah. Spoil the shit okay, out Okay, okay, okay. Um, so they do get Susan Day, and she's going to come, and she's going to speak at the Dairy Civic Center. And it's like, I'm going to crash my plane into the Civic Center and kill thousands of people. And the two of the little, little bald doctors who are um, a part of the purpose, they're like the the chill guys who are mm-hmm. working with Ralph and Lois. They need Ralph and Lois to stop this from happening. They need to stop the whole rally from happening because there's one very special little boy in the crowd who they do not want to get killed because if he is killed, it will throw reality totally out of balance. And this character is someone who is a, he's not a huge character. He's a small character, but he plays a really big part 
in the Dark Tower, uh, yeah, in the yeah. very end of the Dark Tower. That so we will we will not spoil, but he does play a key role in a in, very yeah. key role, a very key role. So this all ties into the Dark Tower. Uh, and again, it's, this is one of those books that like, if you haven't read the dark tower, I mean, you can enjoy it to some degree, but it's definitely far more enjoyable and accessible if you've read the dark tower and you know, of the, right. the lore and the crimson King and all that stuff, levels of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That but was yeah, a great they, job. Yeah, they, use well their, done. they use their aura powers and it's really cool. And I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, that's all. I, mean, I think it's a. We should talk about like the slow burn aspect to this book, which is it's kind of hypnotic. It's. I remember very vividly reading this when this came out, um, and so like I, I started my Stephen King journey in about sixth grade, and I've told that mm-hmm. story, so I won't repeat myself here. But uh, uh, all through middle school and high school, I was reading all the backlog Stephen King that I hadn't read, and then you know grabbing what was new. And so we're talking this era was when King was. from like the mid to late nineties, pretty much everything he wrote had some sort of commentary about, uh, domestic abuse or, Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, from, you know, rape or, or, uh, uh, you know, beatings and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And we're talking Gerald's game. Uh, we're talking Rose matter insomnia. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, there's so much in this era where he seemed to be fascinated by this topic. And for like a, a yeah, high school age boy, you know, young high school age boy, you know, this wasn't what I like kind of fell in love with Stephen King for, which was like the it's and Cujo's and Salem's yes. lots and, right. and that stuff. But like, as an, uh, and even then I like got it and liked it, but I remember very vividly picking up insomnia and this very much being my shit, but I was also very in a dark tower at that yes. point. So I was, um, uh, you know, I was like super into hearing anything about this Crimson King character and, and the Crimson King in, you know, we should probably talk about this is he's way more of a threat and badass and like terrifying in this book than he ever is in, in the dark yes. tower. Like yeah. in the dark tower, when we finally meet him, it's not, it's like kind of from far away. It is. It's <laughs> like, he's, he's not this, like, you know, he's built up to be the Sauron essentially. Kind, yes, of, kind of a little absolutely. whiny bitch hanging out yeah. on the patio. Right. Yeah. But he's in, like, locked out mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in insomnia, he's legit. Like, Holy shit. Randall flag has, has somebody, you know, that'll give him a run for his money in terms of a Stephen King villain. Like yes. he's legit creepy yeah. and when he makes his appearance it's disgusting and weird oh, yeah. and it's so like, weird yeah so you know the, all that stuff pulled me in and i'll always remember you know one it's a large ass fucking book it's a big tome it's got yeah. that red and white cover mm-hmm. you know uh like i'll always have a, a soft spot for this but um uh what i will say before we focus wholly 100 on insomnia is also talking about this era um, even though like teenage me was like, what, you know, whatever I can take or leave Rose matter and all this stuff. Like adult me is finding that era of Stephen King extremely fascinating and it's yeah. way more nuanced and layered than I gave mm-hmm. it credit for at the time. And, uh, um, it might not be as iconic as a, you know, he doesn't have a Pennywise in that era or whatever, but it's, yes. you know, it, there is something that, uh, I think that a lot of King fans who maybe overlook that era, you know, might find if they go back and give it another shot. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, this book discusses feminism, spousal abuse, abortion Mm -hmm. rights, homophobia. I mean, it like really goes into a lot of different stuff, but in a way that isn't preachy. Uh, It never gets um, 
soapboxy. You know, a lot of people tend to kind of get on their soapbox when talking about these subjects. And I feel like Stephen King does a really good job of, you know, pointing out the hypocrisy on both sides and kind of shining a light and showing, you know, the reasons behind different people's opinions and thoughts and feelings and, and how, a lot of it's kind of absurd, um, which I, I really appreciated when reading this book because I haven't read it in a long time. So rereading it, it was so funny because, you know, it's like, oh, wow, we've got, it seems very relevant to issues that we're dealing with right now in our society. Oh you know, it was like kind of perfect timing to reread this. Yeah. yeah like, when you settled on this, I was just like, well, there's going to be a whole bag of worms to oh discuss there. And I totally forgot about the whole abortion. I know that the whole thing takes <laughs> place. Like I just, I just remembered like old people are falling in love and auras <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. silly weird guys and like that's what yeah. I remembered. And I totally forgot. But I was like, well, this is kind of it's very synchronous. Like this, it worked out really well. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy because I reread it. Before Roe was essentially overturned, right? So mm-hmm. that that was my last visit of it. It was for the show as well, and it was the first time I'd read it since I was you know a teenager, and I really really liked it. But then I was drawing comparisons to Trump, like it, before, like examining how the abortion stuff. The more it changes, the more it's still the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, like taking all that out of out of the equation, like I, I saw a lot of because I had friends that kind of went you know on the to the Trumper train who were like left or center left people. And mm-hmm. so I really related to the Ed Deepno character who are <laughs> not related to him, but related to Ralph's yeah. relationship with Ed Deepno, you know, and that yeah. it's this nice guy who, you know, it's, it seemed to have his head on, you know, right. And then like, suddenly he's corrupted. It felt like a corruption. I know that like, if there's any right wingers listening to this by at this point, congrats, you're one of probably two or three people by now. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I know that that's kind of drawing in a, a, a fairly negative, uh, comparison to Trump voters, but you know, they kind of brought that on themselves. Well, here's, um, here's the thing that I thought that was really funny about Ed Deepno's character though, was yeah. like, so, when we first see him at the airport and Ralph sees him being crazy and he's never seen him be crazy before. He's like, here's my neighbor. He's a cool guy. And then it's like, here he is running into this truck, getting in a fight with this trucker, like pecking his head around like a rooster, you know, getting ready to like, <laughs> fight somebody and like say, like slapping him saying crazy stuff. And, you know, he's talking about the centurions and that, you know, they're, they're shipping out all these, baby corpses and and fetuses out so they can feed them to the crimson king or or his cohorts or whatever you know blah 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 but the thing is is that ed deepno wasn't wrong like Uh, go on he's set up up as this like batshit crazy character and when you first meet him especially if you have no idea about the dark tower it's like he's talking about Crimson Kings and them eating babies and like all this, this like super weird stuff. But yeah. like they are eating babies at the Dixie Pig <laughs> in the series. So like, yes. so what like they're they getting, they're getting those babies from somewhere. They're eating yeah. New York babies. They're just ordering out from Hillary's uh, <laughs> like, basement pizza place, right? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know if they're coming from women's care and dairy, but I mean, mm-hmm. they are eating babies, so he's they, not entirely wrong. They only just really started. They only just started offering babies on DoorDash here in Austin. <laughs> you know, 
So right, right. That right. long pig, you know, we yeah. love it. Yes. We love it. So I, I mean, I <laughs> think I always point, thought though. that was really interesting. I was just like, man, like, I mean, as crazy as he is, I mean, that's, you know, and he's being fed this information by the other side. Like he thinks that he's working for the side of purpose when really he's being contacted by the random and the random is feeding him information, getting him whipped up, but it's true information, but they're using his emotions against him and uh, getting him to do something that's terrible, you know? And I feel like that's, that's just like so true to life where a lot of people like they're not necessarily wrong, but like they get taken over by, wrath, you know, which is one of the seven deadly sins, and they become so wrapped up in it that they start doing terrible things, even though they think they're righteous. Uh, They think they're doing the right thing, but it's really, you know, violence is not the answer, (laughs) generally speaking. There's very few times where it is. Sometimes there's a sacred uh, violence, but most of the time, it's not really helpful or needed. I do love that term. Oh, shit, we need to start a show just called Sacred Violence now. That's a great <laughs> name. Oh my god! Right, right. But every you know, and I just I think that it's really interesting too, where it's like you know he shows like these people who are pro lifers who go they get so wrapped up in these hypotheticals and these ideas that they go out and actually kill people. Right. Uh, and they're like, oh, we got to save the babies, but we're going to do it through killing women and children, you know, at yep. High Ridge. And you're just like, um, I don't. <laughs> but then at the same time, Stephen King does a great job of showing the other side where when Ralph and Lois are eating at that diner and they're talking to uh, a pro-life woman who's saying like she's like their waitress and she talks about how. The thing that she's so hung up on with pro-choicers is that these are the same people who want to see guns outlawed because they don't want people to shoot each other with them. And they're the same people who are saying the electric chair and the gas chamber are unconstitutional. And, you know, but then they're supporting these laws, which, you know, there there is life being exterminated. So I think that he does a really fair job of, of showing both sides. And also she's somebody who did get pregnant but gave it up for adoption and went that route. And that's why she feels the way she feels, you know? And there's another instance where you have the old Crocs, the dairy old Crocs, and they're getting into the argument. <laughs> you have like two of them who are really like starting to like fight about it. And one of them, the man who again was like the pro lifer, he says that like him and his wife tried to have a baby, but it never happened. And so like, that's why he feels the way he feels. So I, I feel like right. Stephen King does a really good job of showing both sides and not everybody is a monster or an extremist on either side and everybody has their reasons, which right. I really appreciate it. No, you you nailed it right there, specifically with that that scene that King wrote in uh, with that conversation and with the waitress. It is it, it it almost feels out of place. It's you can feel him stopping the story to have this moment <laughs> yes. in, in the in the book, but it's an incredibly important one. Um, just so, you know, he's not saying that everybody who has a question about, about the issue is the one that's going to fly a plane into a, (laughs) into a a civic center, you know? Um, Yes, absolutely. And she also says she abhors violence and doesn't, you know, she's like, no, I don't think we should be killing people who are doing this, but you know, she's, but she's very, she has, you know, she has her own points and she has her thoughts and feelings and everyone's entitled to that. 
Right. Uh, I'm, fa- I'm fairly strongly uh, pro-choice in uh, myself. And, uh, but, but there is, I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the thing with, about the abortion issue is it's such an emotionally charged yes. issue. And Very both sides feel extremely righteous, you know, yes. not, not violently righteous, uh, <laughs> but righteous. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you can see it because it is kind of this gray area, you know, mm-hmm. at what point does you know, uh, another life, you know, take precedence over the life that it needs to in order to become that life. And there's a lot of hypocrisy on, you know, on both sides, you mentioned the, the liberal side of, of, uh, uh, you know, being against death penalties and, you know, want gun restrictions and all that stuff. But, you know, then there's also the conservative side where that's the, the people that will use their guns the second <laughs> yes. that they feel threatened, right? <laughs> like they, they're, they're praying for somebody to break down their door so they can put a shotgun in their chest, right? 100%. And, uh, uh, and when their lives feel threatened, you know, you know, not, not just your, your inconvenienced, even the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. It's like when they, when they feel threatened, they don't blink an eye. It's their rights. It's their freedom to, mm-hmm. to, to kill somebody that's threatening them. But, you know, uh, a, a woman who's carrying an, you know, a, a dead fetus that might die, you know, in her womb, you know, yes. she's not allowed to get an abortion, you know, uh, even though it's probably going to kill her, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, there, there, there's hypocrisy on, on both sides, but it's, you know, the only real, solution to this is abstinence and that ain't never going to happen. This is, this is humanity we're talking about. So. Right. Right. Well, my favorite take in the whole book of all the characters, I really like Lidecker, the, the cop. Right. And when he's talking to Ralph and he's like, do you know why this whole, do you remember what started this whole thing in Derry? And Ralph's like, no, what? And he's like zoning. It was over zoning. Okay, there was some people on the council who were threatening to try to rezone District 7 so that they couldn't do this anymore. But the thing is, is that that would never happen because all of their hospitals are already in Zone 7. So this was just like a feint. Like it was just something where it's like, oh, well, we're going to grumble about this and try to do something. But they knew it would never work. And Women's Care also knew that this rezoning would never happen. And so, you know, and he said, I got some quotes here. It's like, so it was never going to happen, but it's okay because it was never about that in the first place. It was about being pissy and in your face about being an ass ache. It's about being right. I support the right of a woman to have an abortion if she really needs one, but the pro-choicers holier than thou attitude makes me want to puke. They're the new Puritans. As far as I'm concerned, people who believe that if you don't think the way they do, you're going to hell. Only their version is a place where all you can get on the radio is hillbilly music and you can only find uh, chicken fried steak to eat, you know, which I was just like, well, that's that last very, part's not so bad. That's a, that's a, well, yeah, <laughs> there could be, well, now though it's, it's being canceled. Like right. now you're not going I was to hell. Stay. Now you're being canceled. So they, they, there has been a, a finding of hell. And as somebody who grew up in Alabama and the Bible belt, and I grew up in a very kind of conservative town and there was a lot of like in Alabama. Well, yes, I grew up in Alabama. And <laughs> you know, there was a lot of this um, you know, well, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ and take him in your heart as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hell, you know. And now being in California and LA, I see the exact same attitude, but it's from the other side, you know. So it's just like I've kind of been in both zones where it's like kind of extremist conservatism and then extremist liberalism. And like both of them are just like 
you guys got to calm down. You guys got to yeah, calm the, down the, the, the a key, little bit. The key word there is extremist. You want to avoid yes. being any sort of extremist as far as I can tell. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, what you're talking about with like cancellations and that kind of shit, like as we're having this conversation, there was a thing on Twitter earlier today. Some someone drew up a list of all these like classic authors, and oh, then I, saw I just that. saw that too. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And, and it's like who should be? I mean, the implication is these people should be canceled, but really, it's just yes. a, a spreadsheet laying out like how fucking William Shakespeare was bad and how right like, to kill a mockingbird is yeah. racist. <laughs> this is this is the sort of thing where like. This is this is a perfect example of what I see more and more and more of on social media, which is the need for purity tests at all times. Yes. The idea of like canceling someone like I'm not going to engage with their material anymore. Mm -hmm. right. Fine. That's your choice. But also right. like you have to understand that the entire history of the world up until this point is filled with people, you know, and love who did some bad shit in their lives. Because yes. We've all done some bad shit in our we've lives. We've all sinned. We're and, all sinners here. <laughs> right. And this, and I think personally that the pendulum has swung far, far too wrong in the wrong direction. This is, Absolutely. this is essentially a repeat of what we saw in the nineties with, uh, you know, the, oh, the PC, PC culture. Movement. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. eventually what happens is that pendulum swings back and the harder you yes. have it pushed in one direction, yes. the and farther and faster ugh. it's going to swing in the opposite. And so 100%. I'm kind of dreading. I know what's going to happen when Same. sooner or later, someone's going to get sued for saying some libelous shit on Twitter by someone really powerful. That's going to mm -hmm. cast a shadow over everything else or, you know, a million different things could happen, honestly, yeah. that, that could cause it. A lot of it. negative. Yeah, because again, it's like extremism on either side. There's no bueno. And so, yeah, we've definitely hit kind of some, we're hitting some peak levels of absurdity uh, in liberalism right now. And so it's like swinging back. We're going to hit peak levels of absurdity in conservatism, which, yeah, like I said, I'm not looking right. forward to Right, and we don't want to do that. So, you know, like, you, no. You, you can see the, the rise, too. I mean, the, there's more religious right on the rise now than I've seen since I was a kid in, you know, in the heyday of the Reagan era, right? Mm -hmm. Which was, we're talking satanic panic, you know, we're heading <laughs> to those levels, right? <laughs> right. Totally. And, totally. And, and, uh, I mean, it just, just Sex with the and DeSantis and Kemp Fuck and, you. and uh, yeah, banning, right. banning books and, yes. you know, uh, it's, it's, it's going the, the response to it. And, and here's the thing though, is it's, it's, it's also dangerous to say, well, then we shouldn't be pushing for the right thing because and this is the argument that I'm seeing a lot with uh, the current, like don't investigate Trump because all that's going to do is enrage his supporters. And it's just like, well, fuck him. You know, if he broke, broke the law, then he should be held accountable for it. But, you know, I do kind of understand like the more that we're, we're pushing for, you know, inclusion for everybody, the more there's a resistance to it and, and right. the more people are going to get hurt in the process. But I think ultimately, you know, just in terms of the recent U.S. history, I'm, you know, maybe we'll evolve someday where we can actually sit down and have a discussion <laughs> and people will use the same facts and, yes. you know, and be able to recognize it and not be so stubborn. But like, unfortunately, and especially in the U.S., you know, the history is, you know, you have to do big pushes and ultimately end up into some sort of status quo. You know, that's the whole civil rights fight and, you know, getting that law passed. And, you know, it, like it, it was always a big push and pull and it's, you know, but it was the right thing to do. You know, mm -hmm. I don't I don't know how else, you know, you were supposed to fight against uh, such institutional yes. uh, race racism. You know, it's like, right. how else do you fight it? You have to at a certain point, you have to 
Yeah, Just you have to put your foot down. Be willing to do it. So I, you right. know, all this is very, <laughs> it's way above my pay grade. I am not a smart man, so I'm not the one to try to sit here and figure it out. But, but I, <laughs> but I do, you know, I do recognize that, that, uh, you know, in a lot of these cases, you know, we're, we're very, very much a, you know, a, uh, an ally show to, you know, the LGBTQ community and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the trans community and like we, we were all, all that. And, you know, I think that's a good fight to have, but you know, that's precisely the stuff that's triggering this kind of rise on, on the right to meet that fight. That's right. It's time for your mid-roll ad read. And we only got one for you this week, but it's, you know, kind of one of our favorites. I got to say, I don't like yes. to pick favorites amongst our KingCast sponsors, but we've spoken many times about how much Scott and I love the Lumi Labs product. Every day, come rain or shine, I'm eating those Lumis. Indeed. And if you're new around here and want to know what Lumi Labs is, well, they're trying to spread the good word about microdosing, which is taking a little bit of their synthetic THC strain all throughout the day. So you're not going to be tripping balls, but you're going to feel nice and relaxed. And they want more people to know about microdosing. And I've got to tell you that these things, I've said it before and I'll say it again, they've been kind of a godsend for me because I've had a lot of trouble sleeping and in keeping normal hours. And I take one of these Lumis as part of my nighttime routine. And, uh, you know, I'm relaxed and I'm out for the count. They've been working a charm and Scott can back me up on this. This is. Yeah, that's true. Um, I also I also take them pre bedtime Um, for anyone that's listening. I've said this before. I'll say it again. This is the D9 strain of synthetic THC. You may have tried some other ones that left you feeling hungover in the morning or like just kind of. I don't know, kind of dirty and gross. Um, This isn't that Uh, my experience with the D9 gummies has been uh, it's very clean easy to modulate because you know all the all the uh you know recommended serving sizes if that's what you call it are on the package and uh yeah i would i would literally use this product every day of my life except that you know my supply is on its last legs it's it's (laughs) gonna run out any minute now but boy do we love it and uh we would really appreciate it if you you gave them a shot because we believe in this product Yeah, for sure. And as Scott said, the best part about these Lumis is that they use that synthetic THC strain, so they aren't affected by your state's marijuana laws, which means this product is available nationwide. Uh, And to learn more about it, all you got to do is go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. That's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. All right. Well, with all of that said, let's get back to the show. Well, I, I feel like too, like in the U.S., like we've had it too good for too long. Like mm-hmm. we, we like have so much freedom. Uh, there's just so many options, so many choices, and uh, and but like people are kind of like making up like a lot of fake problems. <laughs> right. and, like have yep. a lot of real problems, and it's. Yes. But I feel like real problems are coming. So like real problems are we've in the mail right, right now. now. Yeah. yeah, we got yeah. plenty yeah. of them. That's that's one of the more baffling elements of the whole thing to me is like. We have serious shit to deal with right now. And you're right. worried about like this shit, like one right. thing at a fucking time. People. You're worried yeah. about George R.R. R. Martin mispronouncing names at a oh conference. Oh, Lord. I saw that. And that's yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Wow. 
it's, yeah, it's I mean, so yeah. insane. It's it's a little bit, you know, it, it's kind of like the Me Too fight. That that was a you know a righteous fight to take on. You know, mm-hmm. take down the Harvey Weinstein's of this world, take yes. down the Jeffrey Epstein's of this world. You know, but then like the instant it went to, and then Aziz Ansari had a bad date. Right. And you're like, well, you know, that's he all. He was equal. Aziz Anasari, and she was surprised that he was who he is. <laughs> he, he, he was awkward. He was awkward and didn't know how to deal with sex stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I've known more than a few people who have been canceled uh, through various different types of cancellations. I've known Me right. Too cancellation people, I've known other cancellation people. And, you know, some of them were like, it's done. It's over for them. Some of yeah. them were able to get back and some of them were able to, to beat it and it didn't stick. And, but in all of the cases that I've personally seen through people that I know and people who I've kind of been privy to the actual situation, like all of them have been totally stupid. Like all the cancellations have been just like based <laughs> on total nonsense and hmm. uh and the witch hunter is just it's so scary like it's so and scary it, it's, and like, it's oh, tough when to stand- gonna be my turn like oh no you know well, like what yeah. oh when is and someone gonna wake to, up and- to stand up for that too you're stand up for, for oh, people yeah. when you know the situation because it unless right. you know the situation you know yourself it seems like you're just trying to help cover up a, a heinous thing yeah yeah yeah, I, mean, it's, I mean, I I know people who have been canceled, and I helped essentially. I helped cancel one with my old boss at Ain't It Cool. You know, I mm-hmm. I left the site very publicly over the allegations, but that was after me talking with him and figure in talking to the uh, survivors and talking to other people around the situation, and just realizing that one, it was true, and two, he uh, had zero remorse about it. And I'm like, I can't. Yeah you know, I, I can't stick around this. So this was really odd to me. Like I had a friend who was, you know, semi canceled or like it got bad for, for them. It was, it was not chill, but, um, but they're still like able to work, I guess, post, post whatever. But anyways, um, but they went through it. a public facing person. Yeah. Yeah. This is like somebody, you know, an online career, another internet personality. Right. And, um, and I was, you know, I was there for them during it. And I was like, hey, you know, this is like stupid, whatever, you know, call me if you need any, anyone to talk to, whatever. Right. But then like months later, like they hit me up and they're like, oh, so-and-so is doing an article about this person and you dated them. And like, you know, and obviously like, you know, I'm not dating them anymore. It's like, oh, so do you have any, you know, do you have anything you want to tell them? And I was just like, what? No. <laughs> like no no and i was so shocked that this person who had experienced being canceled was asking me if i wanted to jump on a cancellation train for somebody that you know we both knew and i was just yeah. like really like weirded out by the whole situation i was like what you so i it's it's really bizarre it's really bizarre yeah well back to less complicated topics like abortion <laughs> yes um <laughs> I, I realized that when King wrote this, this was in the heyday of the abortion clinics getting bombed. And that's kind of the yes. the nugget that sat there, or the nugget that, that inspired the, uh, uh, you know, that aspect of the story. But I think what's really interesting is is how you read it and it just feels so contemporary. Like I yeah. joke that Ed Deep knows a Trumper, but, you know, that's kind of, it's the same kind of radicalization, you know, thing that, you know, ma- mentioning that, like, I've had friends that, that have fallen into that quasi QAnon trap, right? Mm-hmm. And they, I, I don't yeah, know anybody yeah. that's full blown QAnon, but I've known people that flirt with that shit. <laughs> right. And it and it's really right. frustrating because it's like that is like 
beyond like when I grew up, conspiracy theories were fun. They were like aliens are at Area yeah. 51 and there's not, you know, they have autopsy footage of alien, you know, it's like, you know, JFK, there was a third person, you know, there, yes. you know, oh, I think yeah. it was around 9-11 when, when the conspiracy thing just like got turned up to, you know, ridiculous levels. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, but like, it, I, I'm thinking specifically of, you know, one person I know that like canceled their Netflix because of the cuties. Thing oh, yeah, you yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know some and, people who did that too. Yeah, and and I and and, and it, that reminds me so much of insomnia because you have the people that are you know that just view it as the, I have this is my cause I have to protect these children I have mm-hmm. to protect the babies and I have to do this uh, and they feel justified and righteous in it and you know, that's what my friend was. She was like, I'm canceling this. You know, I'm not going to put up with this. And I'm like, Oh fuck. And I ended up like, like how bad could this be? Netflix surely wouldn't put it up. And I watched it. I'm like, this is a Sundance movie. There's, there's no nudity. There's no nothing. There's more sexualization of kids on, you know, uh, uh, America's got talent. You know, it's like, it's the same, same thing, but they just hear this and they, without looking into it, they just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's It's all the clickbait culture and pedophiles in Hollywood. One striking again. It's like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild out there, but you know, I want to, I want to shift the conversation about some cute, fun things that I like uh, about this sure. book that are yeah. not uh, inflammatory <laughs> to people, potentially. Right. That are going to cause people to rage out listening to this, going, yeah, so, I don't want politics in my Stephen King I know, and, I, and I get, but it's such a political novel, you have to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, it's impossible not to talk about it. It's impossible not like to. So, and yeah. I, I feel like we've done a great job of, of chatting about it. But, you know, I love that this book is about old people. And yeah. you never see a lot of books with like older, elderly protagonists and their struggles of like getting older and what it's like and having to like deal with your son and his shitty wife trying to put you in a home or dealing with, <laughs> right. you know, be- becoming a widower and watching your wife die of cancer. And also, though, of seeing like two older people fall in love right. like with their autumn romance and like talking about how even though they both love their their spouses who are both dead, there's like a widow and a widower. But how they kind of find true happiness with each other like really late in life. And I just think that's so cute and it's so rare. Yeah. And uh, and another thing that I, I really love about this book, and this is the thing that like stood out to me when I was remembering it and when I suggested it, was, you know, I'm an artist who loves colors. You know, I love mm-hmm. to paint. I love colors. I have a degree in art. Um, I'm also an enjoyer of occasional psychedelics <laughs> and I'm a dabbler in the occult. So I really enjoy all the beautiful color descriptions of auras and energy fields uh, and being on like higher levels of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that was just so well done. Like there's just so many color descriptions. And as somebody who's very like color oriented, right. I just really enjoyed that. I mean, I, I love Dune and like I read a lot of it. And there's just like, like I'll, if there's any, there's like two mentions of colors in that book you know? <laughs> like, here and there. I'm just like, oh my God, he described something as orange. Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. like everything I else out. is just beige. Yes. It's just, it's really, there's not a lot. So I love all of the color in this book. And I really particularly enjoyed the old Dorrance. So Dorrance is like a super old character and everyone regards him as really batty and weird. And he's just kind of off in his own little world. But you come to find out that like he's not just some senile old man who's like lost his marbles, but that he's like an ascended master. Like, and when Ralph and Lois look at him and see his aura, he doesn't have just like one color. He's got like a rainbow of colors around him. 
And in both Eastern and Western esotericism, there is something called the rainbow body where your energy, like you become like enlightened, like it's kind of like post enlightenment. So right. once you kind of like reach these higher levels of realization and, uh, and, and have your kind of thoughts about you and <laughs> like, you've kind of, you've reached the top, uh, not the top there, there's, there's other places to go, but once you reach a, a higher level, you can develop this thing called a rainbow body where essentially like your consciousness can survive death and you can go to these higher levels of reality without, you know, being able to still be in control of your energy. It doesn't just disperse after death. And, um, and I was like, oh, wow, that's just like Dorrance. And I mean, he can go to higher levels of reality if he wished. He could just disappear and no one would ever see him. So I was like, I really liked that little uh, situation. I thought that was fantastic. And then another, a couple of things, like there's two phrases that are repeated throughout this novel a lot. And uh, I think Eric, you talked about how, you know, you, or maybe it was Scott, I can't remember, but one of you talked about how like this movie or this book is kind of like, um, is hypnotic, I guess, in a way when you're reading it, like it's not a normal Stephen King novel, but like the thing that I noticed is like Stephen King really is trying to like implant these two phrases in your brain because they just come up all the time. And one of them is a from a Stephen Dobbins poem that Dorrance gives to Ralph. And it starts off, each thing I do, I rush through so I can do something else. Hmm. And that's something that we're all guilty of, I feel like. Uh, yeah. A lot of us are very guilty of. We're trying to kind of, we're going too fast. We're going to the future. We're not living in the present moment. And so I love that like he's constantly trying to remind us, like, be in the present moment. You know, stop rushing to get through to do something else. Like, be here, be now. And that's another very kind of occult idea is just like, and that's a part of having like building your rainbow bodies. You have to become very present. And also, uh, Dorrance, it's another Dorrance thing. He says, uh, done bun can't be undone. Yep. I love that. I love yeah. done bun can't be undone. I just feel like, yep, like that's such a, yep, that's a truth. <laughs> like that happens. And, <laughs> that I, and I, I, was, I was thinking about it because it's like, okay, you have done bun and then, and then it's like can't. And then be undone. So it's like be and then undone. Like mm -hmm. if you put like be you know, bun done. So it is done bun can't be undone. So it's like this like weird like kind of backwardsy reflexive. Kind of, it really worked. It like clicked and it definitely like implanted itself into my brain, um, which I think was um, really interesting. I love seeing like when you know when all of us artists, you know whether you're whether it's words or whether it's images or whether it's whatever. We're always trying to like put those little seeds out there, you know, and I enjoy seeing other artists trying to implant their little seeds. <laughs> I really enjoy these these little seeds that Stephen King was putting in there. And uh, uh, something else, too, I was just like, I know I've taken over the conversation here, but my mom, I'd like the, the first memory I have of insomnia is my mom reading it. We used to get her the new Stephen King book like every year, whenever it came out, came out, we would always like get it for her for Christmas or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she was just like crying, laughing. Like she just was like crying, laughing. We were like, what is so funny over there? Like, what are you laughing about? And she loved the the line in the book. I This isn't Dorrance. This is um, Ralph's neighbor. I can't, Bill. He says, I think this country is full of geniuses, guys and gals so bright that they make your average card carrying Mensa member look like fucko the clown. And she just like, <laughs> like, it really tickled her, like fucko the clown really tickled her. And I just remember being like, oh, like that is really funny. And we all had a big laugh about it. 
Um, but yeah, I ended up reading it like so much later. I'd forgot. But when I read the line, I was like, oh, it just sparked this really fond memory of my mom cracking up at this book and everyone getting a big laugh about it. I um, am on board with all the things you just mentioned. Those are all mm -hmm. things worth recommending about this novel. But oh, yeah. my favorite thing, which you did not mention, and I was worried you were going to, um, <laughs> is the little bald doctors. I love oh, these yeah. little guys. They're like so these good. are the best little guys. Um, they are. In my mind, they're like they're of a piece somehow. Just in a from a creative standpoint, as mm -hmm. uh, the low men in yellow coats. Yes, you know I love absolutely. those little guys too. Uh, mm -hmm. th there's there's a even though they you know specifically Atropos is doing some pretty heinous shit. Um, oh, yeah, he's a wild one. There's still like this sense of mischief. To the whole thing, you know, there, <laughs> there's the three fates of of Greek mythology, obviously, mm -hmm. in this. But I love that they're doctors. I love that they're using scissors. You know, if it was a knife, yes. it wouldn't be as cool. They're wearing mm -hmm. lab coats. I've always pictured <laughs> I've always pictured the little ball doctors as uh, I don't know if you ever played a game called like Maniac Mansion or Day of the Tentacle. Uh, it's got like an uh, one of the old LucasArts computer games and it's got like. The, the evil doctor who lives in this mansion that's doing all kinds of weird shit with tentacles and what have you. Um, no. no. Well, no, no, nothing <laughs> with the tentacles. Uh, he's a normal evil doctor. Okay, okay, he, uh, cool. Yeah, he's he's like very short, uh, big head, bald, and he wears a little lab coat. And mm -hmm. like, so that's what I picture in my head whenever I picture the uh, the little bald doctors. I could just I, I would I would have read a whole book of just about those three, you know, getting into monkey business and and right. you know, severing people's. Have you know. guys have you guys ever experienced insomnia? Yes, just for like short bouts of time, typically yeah. after, you know, some sort of traumatic event. Right. Like what that. about you, Eric? Sporadically, I, I have trouble sleeping, but it's more of a circadian rhythm thing where I'm, I'm a night owl and yes. once I get set waking you know going to bed at five or six in the morning I'm just set unless I force myself to stay up for like 30 hours so yes. um uh but I do I I have a, a couple of times where it, I don't know if it's just my circadian rhythm part of it or I do have legit insomnia there have been a couple of times where I should have been asleep and I just my eyes are wide open and no matter how tired I am I just can't sleep so, mm -hmm. And I'm somebody who loves sleep. So the idea of like, yeah, I'm not one of those people like, oh, you waste half your life sleeping. Fucking waste more of my life. Sleeping. I <laughs> no, love please. sleeping. Sleeping right. is one of my favorite things. And yeah. Uh, uh, and I and I love how I feel after a good night's sleep, oh, and like you know, so like the idea of being robbed by that is truly horrific to me. So for me, this book is at least the beginning stages before there's like a euphoria that sets in, yeah, for them, um, which is really fascinating. And then they start getting younger, which is also fascinating. Yeah, um, I love them. Getting but younger. before that, like those early days where he's talking about like being at the pharmacy and shit and kind of zoning oh, out, the, and, the and he's getting less and less. The idea of getting less and less because it's not the the insomnia that's happening here. It isn't like oh, I can't get to sleep. It's every morning I'm waking up like right. fifteen minutes earlier than than the previous, and eventually it's going to be I'm not going to sleep at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's all which sorts is of different a, types yeah. of insomnia. Which yeah, is, yeah, like people don't really necessarily always realize that. But I mean, that's I true. was I'm a recovering insomniac. I I struggled with it for like eight years. Oh Jesus. Um, it was well, it was like it happened after I had a cat that I slept with every night and she passed away. And then my YouTube show blew up and I was like thrown into this whole new thing. And then I was also had a very 
I was living with somebody who, you know, my partner, my ex, he struggled with insomnia and it really like rubbed off on me. Here's the thing, like it can rub off on you. Like, so be mm. careful. Right. <laughs> like, and don't sleep with somebody in the same bed who's like got insomnia and stuff. Like it'll, it'll get on you. And also just the way that, I mean, there's just wires everywhere. It was just like, it was just too much, um, too much stuff. But anyways, right. I finally like gotten through it and I, and I've, you know, been a lot better about it this year and it's been it's been so much better but it's really funny in this but I was like chuckling to myself about how you know everyone has some dumb remedy for you when you tell them like oh I'm <laughs> suffering yeah. from insomnia I can't sleep it everybody's got some dumb remedy but but you become so desperate that you totally will try them you know <laughs> like I mean I tried so many things so many things um, and I love Ralph. Uh, he said, human beings capacity for self-deception seems to be at its lowest ebb between three and six in the morning. And I'm like, yes, that mm. is true. <laughs> yep. I, feel, I feel like that is true. Yeah, that, adds uh, up. that tracks. I know, totally. But I really, I did enjoy also the the insomnia observations in this book as someone who's, before before when I read it, I don't think I had experienced it. But now post post-insomniac life. I definitely really appreciated all that sort of stuff. King doesn't strike me as somebody who's suffered with insomnia. He, he seems to be a guy based on what I know about him, that he's got, he's a very scheduled person. Mm. Like he's always up at the crack of dawn. He <laughs> writes like, you know, 3000 words or, you know, 5,000 words or something. And then he has lunch and then he, you know, fucks off for the rest of his day. That's he, in interviews, he yes. says, that's what he says. That's what he does all. I will and it fucks off. You know, he'll be editing and you know, previous stuff and going over whatever, but like, he's a very scheduled person. Mm -hmm. um, so I wonder if, you know, for somebody like that, if he ever did get insomnia, that's got to really be oh, like something that just completely destroys him. I, I wonder yeah. if he ever really suffered with it because there, like you said, there is an authenticity to how he d depicts it. In totally, totally. I mean, I just feel like when I was not getting enough sleep, it's just like your your brain feels just like shattered glass. Like yeah. It's just everything's just become so sharp and you're just like, oh, that's just such a nightmare. And he does such a great job of explaining it. It but, could be um, that he's just fucking scared shitless of it, which could true. be. I am. Like, if you know what, like, fatal familial insomnia is, like, that's basically it, insomnia until you die, which yeah. is, like, one of the most terrifying things I can imagine. And mm -hmm. whenever I've dealt with insomnia, what would happen was, um, like I said, it, 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 these bouts would usually follow after, you know, something traumatic or awful happened. And, mm -hmm. uh, yes. I, um, so it gets you. I got into it after the, the 2016 election. You know, that was rough. And I ended up in therapy, which sort of helped. And then <laughs> after uh, COVID happened, by the end of that year, it had come back full force. And mm. the thing that would happen to me was if I couldn't sleep, I would start getting anxious. And then ultimately, I was just having a full-blown anxiety attack because I couldn't sleep. Hmm. So eventually, mm -hmm. I went and I was like, I've got to do something about this, which, you know, Everyone had been telling me to do for years, but I didn't want to do it and get on like medications about it. Uh -huh. And uh, that really helped. I haven't I haven't really dealt with it since. You know, there's been right. nights where it's hard but to sleep. As well as our you... sponsor, Lumi Labs. They really helped. Yes. Thank you, Lumi Labs. <laughs> well, well do, you, do you have to are you still on it? Like, do you have to like or have you been able to like wean yourself off of it and you just needed it for like a hot minute? And then, I got like, now you're back. I'll tell you, it. I got I got um if you don't mind talking about it. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, the The main medication that I'm on for this is trazodone, which oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. specifically requested because I didn't want 
you know, it was good for the depression and anxiety that I was feeling and the sleeplessness, mm-hmm. but I didn't want mm-hmm. an antidepressant because I've heard nothing but horror stories from my friends who had yes. to come off antidepressants. So yes, I avoided that yes. as a, as a former, uh, heroin addict. Uh, I do not need any help, uh, ever experiencing withdrawal again in my fucking <laughs> right. life. So, Absolutely. so yeah, we needed to, we needed to avoid that when I got into the, yeah. the, the medication adventure, but, um, hmm. Yeah, it's been very helpful, and I was so stubborn about doing it for so many years, yeah. and feel so stupid now in retrospect. Like mm. I could have just fixed this. All it took right. was a, a couple different doctor's appointments, and we were done. And right. interesting. Well, it's it's funny. I had a friend who was dealing with it, and uh, they reached out and they're like, "Hey, like I know that you've gotten better, and you know how did you do that?" And they were kind of looking for some some trick, you know. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Well." I uh, completely dismantled my life that I was really stressed out by and uh, redid everything and <laughs> uh, restructured my entire life to where I'm not stressed out and upset all the time and got rid of certain people that were, you know, like feeding that. Poisonous. And, uh, and then that's, guess what? That's how it worked. And it also took <laughs> like a year or more after that even to like <laughs> come down off of it. So yeah. I was just like, I don't have an easy <laughs> fix for you. Like You better get started. Oh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. They were very disappointed. Um, something else that is really cool about this book is all of the Easter eggs. Oh yeah. There's Tons so of many Easter eggs from it and from the dark tower. And even like that little pet cemetery mm. Easter egg where Ralph and Lois are in a tropos little layer and he's got all those souvenirs from all the people right. that he kills. Including Gage's shoe. Gage yeah. Queen's yeah. shoe is yeah. in there. And I was like, yes. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. This, it's striking a lot of the same shit that people who love Dark Tower love about it, where it's, here's what's beyond the veil. Like Pet Cemetery with all the supernatural shit going on, it's a very grounded story about mm-hmm. a family, right? You know, a kid yes. getting hit by a truck can happen. You know, that shit happens mm-hmm. every day, unfortunately. But it's uh, uh, the fact when you then read this and go, well, there was a, a little bald doctor that cut his string early and that's why it happened. You know, mm-hmm. like right. these little things like that just enrich the previous experience. If you wanted to, if not, you can just go, oh, that's a fun Easter egg. But uh, right. um, but yeah, no, I, I love it. And it scratches that itch in, in a way. And it does so, as you said, with a a really unique angle by focusing on this elderly cast and I, or cast of so the elderly characters. This <laughs> isn't a cast yet. Um, and I want to take this moment to point out the great audiobook version of this, how oh. I, I read it when I was a teenager, when it came out. And then when I revisited it for the show, I listened to the audiobook and Eli Wallach, uh, a.k.a. Oh, Tuco shit. from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly reads the audiobook, mm. and he's got such a great old man voice. Like, um, I don't know how else to put it without me. I know that might sound insulting, but it's perfect. Like, because you, you feel the age, and he has this, you know, uh, he was a very, you know, mischievous guy himself. So when he's reading uh, Atropos and and uh, Lachesis and Clotho, like, he, when he's reading their dialogue, like, he puts on, like, little voices, but he you feel that mischievous energy to it. It's one of hands down the best uh, audiobook readings I've ever, I've ever listened to. And uh, that's awesome. That's a hot so, tip. Yeah. So if you ever want to revisit it or you, or you want to dive in, but you don't want to lug, lug around a, uh, a 900 page book everywhere <laughs> with you. Um, uh, yeah. I highly recommend, uh, you know, hitting up uh, audible or, or finding a sneaky, sneaky way to, to get the file and, yeah. uh, and, and listening to uh, Eli Wallach's reading of it. It's so good. He reads everybody 
perfectly and in you know all the humor all the eccentricities of the story like come through in his voice and and he gives a legit performance so it's yeah. like up there with with Steven Weber and uh, Francis Sternhagen uh, who does a great reading of Dolores Claiborne um, as well. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm finding that a lot of the, uh, I mean, Steven Weber is a young, younger or yeah, younger yeah. relative to, to the rest. Uh, he's a younger guy, but I'm finding that I'm really like listening to old people read me stories. Maybe it's uh, <laughs> tapping into some grand grandma, <laughs> grandma. Grandpa I, I, I think that's an ancient, like, it's an ancient tradition though. You know, like old people telling people stories because they're right. the ones who have them, you know, <laughs> like, that's true. They're the ones who've been around. So I think that's, that's a very ancient human thing. Mm. But especially if you love it, there's so many it Easter eggs. I mean, of course, it takes place in Derry, but Mike Hanlon shows up uh-huh. in the novel. Like Mike's there. Uh, he gives Helen a job at the library. The Derry Civic Center, which Ed is you know trying to crash into, was um, designed by Ben Hanscom. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really nice. It references the flood, the 1985 yep. flood or whatever a whole lot. It references the death of Adrian Mellon. Uh, and even Ralph like has a, a little moment with the deadlights when he activates that weird bomb in his arm that I don't entirely understand when he's <laughs> right. fighting with, uh, the Crimson King, you know, he, he instinctively knows not to look into the deadlights, which I was yeah. like, Oh, the deadlights. Oh, they're in there. And even <laughs> like his, um, experience with fighting the Crimson King, like the Kingfisher, which turned out to be a queen fisher, which is like echoing it, where it's like they think they're fighting this. Uh, they assume they assume his gender. They assume it's yeah. gender canceled, and they, think, and they think that yeah, it's a dude, but really it was a female. Yeah, and it has laid all of these eggs, you know. And so, and it's cool how Ralph had. Uh, I love synchronicities, and like I think like our universe is very fractal, and like things repeat, and so. You have the kids from it who are, you know, fight it and then they find out it's a a female and there's all these eggs. And then you have Ralph who has a memory when he was younger of catching this catfish down in the barrens and he's trying to and it's like hooked on his hand like it's like biting his hand and he's like trying to like get it off and kill it and he smashes it on a tree. And then he stomps on it and then all these eggs burst out of it, yeah. you know? So like that was another thing they thought it was like the Kingfisher, but it was really the Queenfisher and how the Crimson King like kind of takes those things and like works with like both of those energies, incorporating it into how it's presenting itself right. to Ralph was really neat. Yeah. The image of, of the Crimson King's face turning into a giant catfish or whatever has oh. always stuck with me. Yeah. So um, good. Yeah. Well, that came up on another episode of the show, and I was like, "Isn't it in Insomnia? Don't they describe the Crimson King as like a big ass catfish?" <laughs> and <laughs> and whoever we were talking to was like, "I don't know about that." And I'm like, "It's a pretty specific memory for me to have, and for it to be made <laughs> up." Like, I, yeah. I I remember him talking about like the whiskers or something. Yeah, right? the whiskers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Absolutely. you know, you know what that immediately brings to mind is. Um, and this is a weird uh, connection to make here, but to, this is like the fear and loathing in Las Vegas of of Stephen King's book, <laughs> like the movie version, not not the Hunter Thompson book, which is a lot. It's very similar, but um, but specifically the Terry Gilliam version of of that. Like I, when I picture the the catfish, I get the same like weird skin crawly feeling as like when. Hunter Thompson sees the the eel, you know, swimming towards him, like uh, Catherine Hellman turning into an eel and mm-hmm. swimming toward him and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Like oh, I get yeah. the same like weird, like instinctive, like, no, that's just wrong. I don't like it. It, it creeps me out. I'm literally yeah, picturing a catfish in a red robe. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> this feels like a South Park thing. Isn't that what, it, uh, like, yeah, like kinda. he winks and tells him to keep going on his quest? That's like true. I never really thought about that. Uh, but that when, is, when I, I was Matt Stone, Insomnia fans confirmed. When I was looking online for, you know, other people's thoughts and, and ideas about this book, I like to read what other people thought about it. And I came across this theory that uh, Dan Delo or Dan Delo, I don't know how you say his name, but the energy vampire in mm-hmm. the Dark Tower, he's the one who has Patrick Danville, like um, the little boy that they have yeah. to save. He has him, uh, you know, in his basement for years and years and years. And, you know, it's like, okay, so Patrick lives in Derry. Derry is a portal. Like it's a weird hellmouth portal town to mm-hmm. other, you know, parallel universes and whatnot. Could Dandelo possibly be one of its eggs who survived? Because Mike wasn't able to get rid of all of the eggs. Some of them got away. So mm-hmm. some people theorize that he, Dandelo, is one of one of well, its children. As it turns out, uh, I can answer this because oh, really, yeah, oh. because uh, on the show we have we. For a long time, we were monkeying around with the theory that Dandelo, Pennywise, and the Outsider are possibly the same race of creature, right? Mm -hmm. That they all feed on emotions. So we had Stephen King on the show some months ago, and Uh I I asked him this question. I was like, you know, uh, I just asked him, I was like, are these the same? Are these of the same species? Not race, but species. And uh, he told me to get a life. Uh, <laughs> quite literally, um, he was joking, of course, but he did not seem moved by this theory. It was just Boo. like, eh, I don't know, Boo. you know, I, like he didn't. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. He, he very much was of the like. No, they, you know, they they kind of do similar things, but you know, zombies eat people and vampires eat people. You know, they just do it in different ways. You know, it was kind of that. Like that, yeah, they're not the same thing. Was kind of how he he boiled it down to. Well, I'm going to keep by the with theory. my theory that I found on the internet. So I'm going to go with my <laughs> the Losers well, Club theory about. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. Well, I mean, but there's there's got to be something like to the fact that you're right. Like he, Patrick Danville ends up with a Pennywise esque stand in in the Dark Tower, and he's from Derry. Like th- there's got to be like some deeper subconscious thing, you know, that King you know pulled from right. there i don't i don't believe that king is sitting there and he knows like what every step patrick danville took between the events of insomnia and dark tower is yeah you know but there, there's got to be something in his mind that like that just instantly made sense to him you know that, well he's so good at create you know having this lore and like putting all these little easter eggs in his work and that's one of the reasons why i enjoy his work is because if you've read other stuff then like oh there's always these fun little things generally speaking for you to latch on to um, so, you know, it's, it's weird to think that he wouldn't like jump on that because he's famous in my mind for like making all of these little interconnections between his books. Well, at least he's honest about it. Right. You know, he <laughs> could have been like, that's totally it. Dude, you nailed it. And yeah, I'd be absolutely. Like, Fuck yeah, I'm really smart. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> he, uh, shot that one right out of the air. But didn't yeah. he, he did something similar to Steven Weber, right? On the shining miniseries. Didn't yeah. Weber tell us that story? Yeah. Yeah. Where he was like re- trying to get everything he could from the book when he was playing Jack Torrance for the TV movie version mm-hmm. of The Shining. Yes. And King was there. He was, you know, he was a writer and a producer and he was on set for 
the vast majority of that shoot. And uh, so Weber was just like, oh, there's this great passage where he's describing, you know, what, what, what it was something no, about it's the carpet, a, right? It's a, um, there's sort of like a uh, excerpted piece of uh, poetry that's in the book. And it's, you, you know, that, that I think Jack is kind of entranced by. And Stephen Weber was saying that he couldn't, you know, discern the meaning of it and ask King about it. And King just started like reading through the, the poem and was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. This is uh probably something I wrote while drunk because this means that I was probably laying on the ground. That's the bottle. This is this. Oh, wow. and, and he was like, but uh, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and Stephen Weber was like, oh, okay. Oh, cool. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Poor Stephen Weber. I love him. I loved Wings. So I was, yeah. I'm a big fan of his work. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was great on, on the show. We should uh, reach out. It maybe it might be time to get him back. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Indeed. Well, is there anything well, else we want to yeah. talk about in relation to insomnia? Those are my notes here. I think I got everything, though. Yeah. Yeah. We covered all our bases. We said some things that'll lead to some one-star reviews. We talked about the <laughs> yeah. little ball doctors. I think we can't wait. Oh yeah, yeah. It happens. Uh, it happens sometimes. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I think I, I think I'm about wrapped on this. You got anything, yeah. Eric? No, I mean, I think we covered it all. Um, I mean, not all. There's a whole whole bunch of stuff in there, but you know, without just diving back into stuff we've already touched on, you know, uh, I think we're we're pretty good. Like I could talk about the auras and the whole mythology behind, you know, these three beings who are who are there to essentially end life, and one of them is is uh, just completely off his rocker, you know. But mm-hmm. the other two, like, it's just a natural part of the cycle, you know. So they're they're not evil; they're just doing their job. But then you have this one that's, yeah, you know, particularly when he kills the dog, is like such a, uh, you know, that's a king doing it again, killing the dog. Um, he loves killing the dog. He he kills dogs all the time. But like the way that it's drawn out, it like really kind of fucks with me. And the and when I think back on the book, like I always, you know, that's one of the things that pops up in the, like the collage in my mind of of what this is. Um, you know, is that moment where you know they try to save this this like stray dog, you know, over and over again, and they do, and then but eventually. He gets he gets the dog and it's not like you snip the ribbon that's tied to the aura and you die. It's like you snip the ribbon and then like it's like the slow death as the dog just starts dying. And it's like it, it, it's really affecting. So I, I think that this is kind of an undersung King title. And I'm I'm really glad, uh, Danica, that you you uh, picked it and we got to talk about it because I don't think a lot of people uh, for a big book that's not like held up as one of his best, you know, I think that this is one that a lot of people might skip over. So hopefully yeah, if anybody's intrigued and interested, by especially this, dark tower it, nerds. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's my final thought on it. Well, Danica, where can the people find you? What are you working on next? Uh, this is your <laughs> chance to sort of promote whatever you'd like. My chance to shine. Um, yes. You can find me on uh, YouTube. I'm comic book girl 1919 on YouTube, but I'm also on Twitch and I'm on Twitter and Instagram, Danica, D-A-N-I-K-A-X-I-X. And on Saturdays, I stream movies and watch movies with people, just like all sorts of 
different stuff. So we have a really good time watching movies live together. And also, I'm getting ready to start, uh, if there's any Dune nerds out there, I'm getting ready to start Dune Club. We're doing Heretics of Dune Club. And then uh, we're going to wrap it up with Chapter House Dune Club. Awesome. And you, you know, for sure, looking forward to your trailer reaction for Dune 2. <laughs> that, that'll do a trillion views on YouTube. Uh, yeah. I mean, it did more views than the actual review of the movie. So cool. Fun times. We love it. Love that YouTube algorithm. Don't we, yes. Folks? Can't get enough. Well, thank you so much, Danica. This was uh, an absolute pleasure. And uh, you're welcome back anytime to talk about politically heated <laughs> topics. Indeed. <laughs> Yes, I can't wait. Thank you. Many thanks to Danica for joining us for that very rousing, political, very complicated conversation. That I remember the, that conversation yes. was way more intricate and complicated than I kind of assumed going in. But when you start kind of talking about abortion, things get gray real quick. So Yes, they do. Um, but hey, I'm glad we had the conversation. I'm glad it's out there. And I'm glad uh, we finally got to talk about insomnia on the main Yeah, feed. for sure. And all that dark all the way shit. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get That's some Crimson it. King love up in this bitch. We love did. It. We did. So uh, what's coming up next week? Ooh, so next week we are tackling yet another controversial title. We are tackling Firestarter, but specifically the new movie. And boy, oh boy, was Scott super happy to, to uh, pay a visit to this one. I was mad because I specifically said I'm not going to bother with it. I don't. People who've li been listening to the show from the beginning know that I'm not really a big fan of the original novel. I don't like the first movie they made out of this. And uh, the reaction to the new one was such that uh, I, I just felt no hurry to, to catch up with it. And uh, the guest on this episode is a returning guest. And I suspect that they picked it um, specifically to fuck with me because they knew <laughs> that I was not going to watch it until I absolutely had to. And I take them to task about that on the air a little bit, I believe, if I remember correctly. Been a oh, while yeah. since we recorded it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So uh, next week's episode a little uh, leans a little bit negative. I'll say that. <laughs> um, You're going to get but, some spicy Wampler next week. Yeah. I, can give, I can guarantee you that. Did not uh, enjoy that experience. Ugh. But yes, as far as hints, the guest is a returner. As Scott said, uh, he is an author. He knows his shit. He plays around in some really fun genre uh, staples, I guess. Some some very big titles that this person's uh, always yes. attached to. So uh, always love hearing from from this person. And uh, I think you guys are really going to dig the episode. It's entertaining no matter what, e even if the movie was uh, a little on the not great side. <laughs> the conversation <laughs> a little. around it. A little on the not great side. Jesus. It was just a smidge. Just a tiny, tiny wafer thin margin there. <laughs> In happier news, depending on how you responded to Halloween uh, ends, um, our bonus episode this coming Friday is going to be a, a talk with uh, a gentleman by the name of... Um, Actually, I don't know how to... Ex I don't know how to pronounce his last name. We haven't recorded this episode yet. Ooh. And... You're gonna give it a Brandon shot and try to butcher Strusnig. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that, and uh, he'll correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong. But uh, he is a uh, a freelance film critic, journalist, uh, a guy I'm a big fan of on Twitter, and um, you know, I saw him laying out a case for 
you know, Halloween ends essentially being a, a, a cheeky remake of sorts of Christine. Right. And once I heard like the particular points that went along with this, um, with this theory, uh, they're, they're kind of ir- irrefutable. I mean, the smoking gun is that Corey in, uh, Halloween ends, his last name is Cunningham, just to right. give you an idea. You know, these right. guys knew what they were doing. Didn't even occur to me when I watched the movie, because once again, my brain is smooth like an egg. But <laughs> that's what they did. And so we're going to explore that. We're going to talk about Halloween ends in relation to Christine with Brandon. That'll be on the Patreon this Friday. If you're not already a patron, you want to go over to patreon.com backslash the Kingcast, get signed up. And there's like a bazillion episodes over there, and they're all great. And uh, you're going to love them. Please, please go sign up for the Patreon. Uh, we got bills to pay. <laughs> and you're going to be well rewarded. It's not even charity, baby. You got commentaries and bonus episodes and full episodes of the show and all the the Shelbyville finale, all the stuff that's you can only get over there at the the Patreon. Mm-hmm. And I think that should about do it, don't you think? So I think that's about it, right? But so yeah, give us all them stars on iTunes and whatnot. And uh, you know, once you're done with that, you've been good boys and girls and. And we appreciate it. We will reward you with our upcoming slate, which includes Firestarter in the main feed next week and this Friday, that conversation with Brandon about uh, that's right. Halloween ends in Christine. Indeed. Can you hear how tired we are in our voices right now? (laughs) By the way, we're so tired, like the fucking exhaustion. Um, It's not that we're not excited. We're just beat. Uh, I think that's it for this week, folks. Uh, Adios. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) All right. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>